morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who are with us as guests today. Glad you are here and chose to make us your church home for an hour. Um, we are beginning a series on the fruit of the Spirit. And so I don't know how long it's going to last, but at least you'll know when we get to the last one, it's over. Um, and the, the point of this is to try to do what we can to develop the character of God in our lives in a greater way. And the fruit of the Spirit is the metaphor that Paul uses in order to describe the aspects of God's character that need to be applied and developed in our life. So turn with me over to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. Galatians, chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 19 through 23. Galatians, chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. title of the message is Fruit of the Spirit, Kingdom Conduct. Kingdom Conduct. Verses 19 through 23 of Galatians 5. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, and sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, verse 21, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I have forewarned you, and as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Lord, help us as we study your word. Two major things about this passage that I'd like to concentrate on. One, nat natural profligacy, which profligacy means de debaucherous conduct, wanton life, wanton living. And then spiritual harvest, what it means to develop that in our lives. Paul is doing what he can to help the Galatians understand the contrast between what it looks like to to develop the character of God and then show that to people, display it, and what it looks like to not have it and display something else. And he's trying to make it really clear by using as many examples as he possibly can of what ungodliness looks like so that the Galatians won't have an out. Well, he didn't say this. He didn't mention that one, so maybe that's okay. He mentions 15 different, different qualities of what bad looks like of what less than admirable conduct is, is supposed to be. So that he's doing his best to, to, to help them understand there is no out here. And after he mentions the 15, he just says one catch-all. That if I didn't mention the one you were thinking about, that you might think, eh, that's not near as bad as I think. And he didn't say it exactly like I do it. Anything like this. So that catches everything else. If you do these things, deeds of the flesh, and I didn't mention in the 15 the specific one that you do, I just want you to know at the very end, and all stuff that sounds like this, that's included in this. So he's doing his best because it feels like the Galatians are so legally minded that they're always looking for a loophole. If you read the entire book, it is the book upon which Paul has to concentrate more on how we deal with the law than in any other church. 
And people who were dealing with the law back then wanted to make sure that everybody was being as compliant as they possibly could down to the letter, the iota of the law, the, the, the commas and the periods and, 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 and what run-on sentences might look like. If you did it a little bit different than what the law exactly stated, you weren't right. And so he has to make real definition, really clear about what's wrong, which ought to evidence to everybody that we are really messed up because we have to be told in such detail what's wrong because we're always trying to get out of it. Pastor, does the Bible say anything about cocaine? No, got me there. Bible didn't say a thing about cocaine. Nope, nope, nope. But help me. You know, there's a lot of stuff the Bible doesn't say anything about. Like, is it a good idea to play soccer on 28? Bible doesn't say anything about that. How about jumping out of a plane without a parachute? The Bible doesn't say anything about that. There's some stuff that God just says, they ought to figure that one out. <laughs> Do you know if, if God had to share every little detail about what humanity shouldn't do, you wouldn't be able to carry your Bible. It'd be so big because we make up ways of doing wrong. So no, there's nothing about cocaine. But maybe the Lord just thought, nah, they won't do that. <laughs> they won't take a little plant, a poppy seed, and then try to distill it down to a certain thing and then boil out all the water and then make it into a powder and then take the powder and slice it up really, really fine. Take a little dollar bill, roll it into a straw. <laughs> then figure out how to breathe, not air, but cocaine and snuck it up their nose. No! I don't have to tell them not to do that, do I? We're always trying to figure out how we can get around something. And it's a shame that we have to be told to do stuff. It only evidences how messed up we are. <laughs> Pastor Jim Critcher did a sermon about a decade ago where he highlighted a thing on the internet. Pastor Jim Critcher is one of the prophets in our church. Highlighted a thing on the internet. It, it said unnecessary commands. Unnecessary commands. And it, it, there was... There was one in there that said, on a Rowena iron, the little tag said, do not use with clothes on. Why did they put that on there? Because somebody thought it was a really good idea to multitask like that. If I can just drink my coffee while I'm ironing my clothes, while I'm doing my hair, and then they tried to sue the company because the iron was too hot. You wouldn't think somebody would need to be told. <laughs> On a can of Sansbury peanuts, it stated, warning, contains nuts. <laughs> now, when I said this once before, somebody came and said, well, technically peanuts are legumes. 
the reason they put it on there is because somebody was allergic to all the stuff that we call nuts. And they forgot that they were allergic. And so they have to put it on the can. Warning contains nuts. How about this? Honor your mother and father. We have to be told that? We got to be told. Are you kidding me? The people that gave us life? But you don't know what they did to me, Pastor. Wait. Did they give you life? Everybody didn't get what they needed from their parents. Everybody. But you got enough. And they may have given you some stuff you didn't need, stuff you didn't want, bad experiences. That's why Jesus gives healing. That's why you come to the cross and find help. That's why he heals the soul. You don't just sit there and and say, that command doesn't apply to me because of this. Why do you think God put it there? Because everybody had issues with mom and dad. And God said, I'm making this one of my ten because it's so important that people feel that they can get healed and get right. And part of the rightness is to recognize that as flawed as your parents were, honor them. But we got to be told what's right. Don't murder. You got to be told that. You got to be told not to kill somebody? Are you kidding me? You got to be told not to steal? Paul has to make all of these requirements about what bad is because everybody in in Galatia is going to figure a way out. Find a loophole. And so he, he puts a bow on the end of it by saying, if I didn't mention your specific thing, I just want you to know anything like what I said fits. Now, there are five categories that he mentions here. One is unchaste behavior. Immorality, sensuality, impurity, all the stuff that really messes up our relationships with people of the opposite sex and unfortunately sometimes with people of the same sex. Purity is a lost virtue in our society. In fact, if you say you are a If you're not married and and, and you're waiting for somebody, you're trying to keep pure, you say you're a virgin, people laugh at you. They mock you on the internet. It's a horrible thing. Yet, the benefits are worth being mocked. That you can actually go into a committed relationship called marriage with a person of the opposite sex who has actually been born that way and find yourself completely and purely devoted to them and having been saved for them. It is a special gift. It's beautiful and it's one that keeps on giving because when you do that, you have the privilege now of handing the inheritance relationally down to your children so that when they want to ask as a result of your requirement to make sure they are treating somebody of the opposite sex as they are dating, well, and you are telling them what it looks like, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, and they want to say, well, when you were my age. (laughs) But they don't want to ask the question because the answer is worse. There are very few parents that could ever say, yeah, we did it right. Most say, doesn't matter what I did, just do what I say. You want to be able to have an inheritance that you hand down to your children. Now, most of us don't have one, not like that. We have a lot of other things that we can give our kids, but we don't have that inheritance because even our best efforts, we blew it. Our best effort 
proved short. But purity is that which should be passed down from one generation to another and saying this is a legacy of our family. And I'm begging you, if you weren't able to start as a parent, start with your child. And if you're listening as a teenager, start now. There is never a bad time to make a great decision. And you can save yourself a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. I'm not saying that you need to be proud of your purity and flaunted as a holier-than-thou person. Don't do that. That's stupid. And, 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 and it, it really, it really counter, counteracts everything you're trying to do because there's pride in there. You can't do this without the grace of God. You don't want to be somebody who goes around with a badge on their shoulder saying, look at me. But you do want to be a testimony saying it's possible so that when you go out with your buddies or you go out with your girls and they have some accompaniment and there are things that they want to do that you know is not right, say, I'm sorry. I love y'all dearly, and, and y'all the funnest people to hang with in the world, but I can't go there. I can't do that. I'm just going to take an Uber home. Thank you very much. I'll see you tomorrow. Without condemning them for their actions, you realize what your standards are, and you hold to them. And what you become is a light in the midst of darkness. Uncomfortable as it is, it's right. Purity. Unchaste behavior is going to deal with some issues it's going to bring up things in your life that you don't want to have to deal with, consequences that you're going to have to bear for the rest of your days at some level. Forgiveness is that which God gives freely, but memories don't go away. They don't go away. I'm begging you. I'm trying to save you from stuff. And everything about this passage is about living the way you should here, recognizing what kingdom benefit is to afford you. He says, all the people who do this messed up stuff, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. If they practice this, they don't inherit the kingdom of God. Now, lest you think that that means you won't go to heaven, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. Heaven is a place. It's a place that allows us the privilege of knowing what it's, what, what it's like to go after we die to be with God. It is not a place that was made, and then God said, I think I will live there because it's nicer than any other place in the universe. Heaven is a place because God is there. And his presence allows for the perfect version of whatever life is supposed to be to thrive. And we get the privilege of being in that environment when we pass from this earth. It is a great privilege. It's beautiful. We don't just go to a better place. We go to the place. Nobody in the universe gets to go there except us. I'm sorry, Blackie won't go. I'm sorry. Tabby won't go. Now y'all are mad at me. The only people that go to heaven are those who are made in his image. Those are the ones that pass through. And, and dogs aren't. Neither are cats. Wonderful human beings that give us comfort while we're here. Now, if God wants to go ahead and translate them, that's his privilege. But it's not an inheritance they receive. And so heaven is that spot where we get to go, which is really, really special. But it's not just about going to glory. It's about bringing a little bit of glory here. And so even though heaven is a place, the kingdom is a realm. And wherever God is... 
The kingdom is to be, is to be manifested there. And so, do you remember that prayer that Jesus asked the, the disciples to pray when they said, teach us how to pray? Because you talk to God, and we don't know how in the world to talk to God like you talk to God. He said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? How? Hmm. So God wasn't just concerned about you getting there. He's concerned about bringing heaven here. I need your presence here. And so when the Bible mentions the kingdom of heaven, it's talking much more about the realm in in which we get to live rather than the place that we get to go after we die. And so God wants kingdom benefit to come to you now. And if you live in such a way that is contrary to his principles in the kingdom, you forfeit the inheritance that could be yours today. You're supposed to be an inheritor of all the kingdom benefits he wants to give you now. Of which he speaks later, love, joy, peace, and so many other things that we can do to add benefit to other people's lives and advance the cause in the world. But if you live wrong, neither can you inherit it, inherit the kingdom or advance it. And you delay the progress of God in your life and the progress of his purpose in others. And so he's trying to say... Stop doing this because it's inhibiting you from experiencing the fullness of the kingdom. Now, the kingdom is never more in concentrate than it is in the church. Never more dense is the presence of the kingdom felt than in church. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. Meaning that the church is one organization on the planet that is to be the best representation of what heaven looks like on earth. Why? Because everything about church is about bringing him in it. We concentrate by singing songs, bringing his presence here, allowing him to manifest himself in great ways. We teach you about what it means to be a good person, about what it means to be a good husband, a good wife, a good son. We teach you about being a good employer. We teach you about everything. Why? Because this is what the kingdom is to do while we are here. Another place where the concentration is to be great is in your home. When somebody walks in your door, they just ought not walk into the Smith's house. They ought to walk into a little outpost of heaven. A place of glory where people realize, boy, this, this, this is a whole lot like God here. Seems like the Lord's in this family. It's really special. It takes a lot of work to be able to, to, to reproduce kingdom benefit in your house. You've got to be a really good parent. You've got to be a really good wife, good spouse, good husband. You've got, to be, you've got to figure out how the Bible begins to talk about what it means to be that. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God fills the house. Special. What is that except kingdom presentation in a home? Now, generally speaking, you go to your workplace, not so much. You have a hard time experiencing kingdom. Because there's a lot of folks that aren't bringing it with them when they walk through the door. But you should be. No amen on that? You're not going to help me? (laughs) You should bring the kingdom with you. Because you're bringing God with you. When when you walk through the doors of your employee, so does Jesus. Now, I'm not saying bring your Bible with you and tell everybody you're going to do a Bible study today at noon. And if they're not there, woe be to them. I'm saying you just bring the presence of God with you when you walk in the place so that you are bringing kingdom principles to bear at every place of confusion or conflict. You bring peace to storms. 
You allow the presence of God to, to, to bring sense to nonsense. When people are gossiping, you don't involve yourself in it. You don't have to rebuke them all and, 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 and be Mr. Moral Police. But you, you sure should raise up a standard of what's most right. The kingdom will go with you. And that's what we are to be, emissaries of his purpose and pleasure wherever we go. But if you do this kind of stuff, unchaste behavior, it's going to be real hard because you're not manifesting kingdom. Lust is filling your soul. That's not kingdom. Immorality is affecting the people with whom you do it. That's not kingdom. Impurity is not even something you think about. Excuse me. Purity is not something you think about. Impurity is something you live. Impurity is that Again, it's, it's, it's a lost virtue. I'll end this point with going back to the beginning. And I know it's a little strange, but when I, when I married Cynthia, um, the first time I gave her a kiss was when the, the preacher said, you may now kiss your bride. Now, we've been engaged, been engaged for four months. I'd known her for a year before that. And I, I know, that's just like, wow, <laughs> wow, you didn't even know, I didn't even. Two reasons. One, we wanted to make sure our kids had that inheritance, that at least from us, if they were ever to ask us that question, we could answer in the affirmative, no, we did not. Secondly, I knew Brett. She was like gorgeous. And, and, and I knew if I entered into that intersection where there was a stoplight, I was going to press right on through. <laughs> I was not going to stop. I was going to speed up and go. So I said, I better not start. I better stop where I know I'm safe. And as a result of stopping where I know I'm safe, I built a defense against my immorality and a security in her that if he had the opportunity when there was a willing participant and after he says I do, he doesn't do it either. I can have confidence because I know when there was a will, he won't do it there either. The Holy Spirit is governing his life. So on many levels, it built security in a lot of different places. But nobody, nobody for the most part, <laughs> applauds that. They just think that's weird. <laughs> just weird. Well, it's comfortable now, painful then. But a lot of people got comfortable then and painful now. I like the other way around. I got good memories, not bad. I've got good testimony, not bad. No consequences, zero. No baby mama drama, zero. <laughs> and it's not because Brett was so good. It's because I realized how I was so bad. And I needed to surrender to my God. And I needed artificial help in order to make sure I didn't blow it. And so 31 years later, I could stand in front of you all with a testimony. Think about 31 years later for you, please. Secondly, first on chaste behavior. The second thing is making sure that you have aligned worship. He talked about... about Idolatry and sorcery. Now, most of us are not trying to practice the black arts. 
And most of us don't have little statues that we buy and put in our rooms and bow down to them. But our version of idolatry and sorcery, just a little bit different, but it's no less significant. We've got to be careful. Got to be careful. Horoscopes are dangerous. The stars upon which the horoscope is based, they don't say anything except what the Bible says they say. And Psalm 19 says they tell the glory of God. So you Sagittarius, you. (laughs) Whatever the paper said is going to happen to you today is not what the stars are saying. Something might be saying it. But it's not the stars, nor is it God. Are you listening to me? You be careful. You don't get your inspiration from anything other than the word or people who are talking it. You be careful. There's nothing to play around with. I'm not kidding either. The sobriety with which I'm ministering this to you, you take it full load. You be careful. You're opening yourself up to a lot of different junk. Secondly, no little statues were bound down to, but Lord, I love you. If you would just let me get this business deal. Now, this, this practice I'm doing may not be as ethical as, I, as it should be, but if I, get the, if I get the contract, I'll give to the building project. Don't put anything before God. Let me first do this, and then I'll follow up later with you. Whether it's your career, your ambition, your money, let me first get mine, and I promise you, I'll go ahead and begin to tithe, Lord. I'll begin to offer. If you just let me get my money, I got a plan here that's supposed to work, and by the time I'm 35, I'll be in a corner office on the 15th. Looking over all of Washington, D.C. on K Street. It's going to be sweet. But just let me get mine first. Idolatry. Putting something before the will of God. Got to be careful. Misaligned worship. You got to be right on point. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things ought to be the priority. You don't love yourself first. You don't love your will first. You love his. Thirdly, we've got unchaste behavior, we've got misaligned worship, and intemperate conduct, strife, enmity, outbursts of anger, things that just don't sound like God when they come out of somebody's mouth or don't feel or look like God in the emotion they are presenting. We ought to be self-controlled and thinking about what our response does to others every time we respond to somebody else. We can't be uncontrolled. We can't just say what we want when we want. Irresponsible. Intemperate behavior, that which lacks self-control, is not born of the Spirit, and it prohibits you from living in kingdom inheritance. You can't get in like that. You can't live in the kingdom inheritance here If you want to live like that. Next, divisive behavior, which leads from the intemperate conduct. Conduct that divides brethren, just separates them. And I'm probably 
in this church, the, the, the topic of most conversation about whether somebody has an opinion or an evaluation. I mean, you don't show up with your scorecards whenever I preach, and I'm grateful. Yeah, six, mm, bordering seven. I can give them seven today. You don't do that. I get it, but you do it in your brain at some level. And there may be something I don't say that really suits you. You go to somebody afterwards. Pastor Brett's great. I love him so much. But. <laughs> and all of a sudden, something comes out. Divisive behavior. Now, I don't mind. I really don't. That people don't speak well of me from time to time. It doesn't feel good. But it's not, it's not going to change anything that I do. And I realize that this is a part of the job. That when you are at the point, you take the, the good for making great decisions and you also take the criticism. I get it. No complaint here at all. But when I hear those comments, as it filters through the grapevine and gets back to me, I begin to pray that God would have mercy on the person who started it and the person who is continuing it. Because what I do with respect to the comments is not what God might do. My tendency is this. Say, don't worry about it. Ain't no big deal. God's is very different. There are very few things that he says he hates. Very few. And when he, when he says he hates things, he, he employs all of his emotions to try to convey what that means. And in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 17, it says he hates a lying tongue. Someone who... who, who is a false witness against somebody else, somebody who sheds innocent blood. He goes on, there's six of them, and one of them is this, one who spreads strife among brethren. Hates it because it divides his family for which he sent his son to die. He hates it. And so when I hear those comments, I say, Lord, please don't be mad at them. Don't be mad, don't be mad at them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, they know what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. They really don't know what they're doing. I'm begging you, have mercy on them. Don't get them. We need to be people that desire kingdom so much that when we begin to, to want to say something that we would justify theologically as an evaluation, not a criticism, an evaluation, that we are saying it to the right people that can actually help fix the situation rather than just spreading news that now is going to, to, to injure or mar the, that person's ability to receive from the person about whom you're speaking ever again. Divisive behavior. When you do that, you can't enter into the kingdom here. It's hard. Kingdom life just seems to sprout wings and fly away because there's so much wrong about what you're doing. And then lastly wasteful and destructive behavior that fits in the area of carousing and drunkenness. Now, I don't, I, I don't imbibe. I, I, and I, don't, I really don't have a religious reason for not drinking, though there are some good exhortations in Scripture that would hedge and hem you in about how you ought to imbibe. I just don't because my daddy was an alcoholic I feel like something might be clicked on the inside of me if I start. And then if I start, I may not want to stop. 
and then I've got a problem that I created that I didn't have to create that I've got to overcome now. Now, why do I want to go there? I've got too many issues as it is. I don't need to create another one, and there are problems in this world that I don't even create that God has called me to help fix. Why do I want to create one of my own that I'm going to have to overcome just all by myself just to minister to you? Well, you want me sober on Sunday. You don't want me with a hangover. And there's never, you know, never know when you might have to minister to somebody. My phone rings at all times. You got to be ready. You can't. Hello. You, 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 just, you just can't. You can't do that. You can't do that. But some of you all take your liberty to the point at which now when things are bad, you enjoy alcohol a little bit too much because you want to make the pain go away. But it doesn't. All it is is an aspirin to your soul. It calms the symptoms, but it doesn't relieve the problem. And you need to find God. You want kingdom benefit when things are bad? Fast. Pray. Get in your Bible. Read it every day of your life. You find God in the midst of it, and the kingdom will show up even when chaos seems to reign. Drunkenness. And then the carousing that comes from it, going to the club, hopping, doing this, doing that. You got a girls' weekend, a guys' weekend, going to South Carolina to, to do some, some, some golfing and going to the Bahamas to spend time in Atlantis. I get it. Be careful. Take the kingdom with you. Real quiet this morning. <laughs> Take the kingdom with you. <clears throat> and, and, and he says this. If there's anything I missed, it fits in that category. Don't do that either. Now, he says, now, the fruit of the Spirit are these. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you want this, it doesn't come just by, by not doing the bad. We don't get any credit spiritually for not doing wrong. But we think we should because we feel like we've really done something when we haven't done bad. I didn't sleep with her. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we feel like we have just moved the ball down the field when all we've done is stop wrong. So there's no, all you've done is, is stop consequences in your life, and that's good. But, but there's no kingdom benefit yet. And he says, if you want kingdom benefit, you got to make sure you do some things. He said, now, in, in chapter 6, verse 8, you got to, he a little bit further along in the book, he who sows to the flesh from the flesh reaps corruption, but he who sows to the spirit from the spirit reaps eternal life. So if you want, you want a harvest that comes from glory, you're going to have to do some sowing. It doesn't just come. You've got to do some sowing in your life so that you can reap something in your life. Now, every once in a while, God gives you the privilege of reaping where you didn't sow. But that's not standard operating procedure. That's just his mercy. 
But the normal way of doing things is that you sow and then you reap. And one way you need to sow in your life is get in this Bible and read it every day and put the seeds of the word down in your soul so that it begins to grow and you've got a harvest from which you can enjoy life. You can begin to eat from it. But if you don't sow, it's going to be hard for you to reap, especially when you need a harvest. Oh, and there are people around you that remind you regularly that you need a harvest. You don't just need a little bit. You need a lot. You know those people who are unlovable? They really challenge you. They drive you up a wall. They make you revert to the lowest common denominator theologically, whereby you say, I love them, but you don't want to be around them. What you're saying is, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to go out to lunch with them. I don't want to get coffee with them. I love them, though. Because you know it's wrong not to love. But your, your love ran out. It stopped. <laughs> so what happens when your love stops? Please remember, his love never fails. And it's not like you have been the greatest company to him all your life. I mean, you don't talk like him. Brett doesn't walk like him. Brett doesn't speak. He doesn't think. He doesn't act. He doesn't feel like him. There's very little about Brett that looks like God. But he keeps pursuing me. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to strengthen you. I know you're weak in this area. And if it offends me greatly. It really does. I don't like it at all. But I love you. And so I'm going to help you. That is the example that we need to have. When we come to people who are unlovable, meaning, which is my last point, when you, when you run out of, of love or peace and chaos or patience with people who drive you up a wall and got to your last nerve, Paul says, against these nine things, there is no law. No law exists. I think he's referring back to what God gave Adam and Eve as a privilege in the garden. When he told them, he said, listen, <clears throat> of all the trees in the garden, you may, how, how, how could he eat? Somebody say it loud. Freely. Of every tree in the garden, you may freely eat, meaning no law. If you want to have like nine apples for breakfast, knock yourself out. Six watermelons for dinner, I ain't got a problem with that. You want to get some avocados? Enjoy lunch as much as you want. Eat it until you fall out sleepy. I don't care. No law against it. One tree you can't eat from. That tree of the knowledge is going to be you. Stay away from that one. But every other tree, no law. And when Paul's talking about fruit here, I think he's hearkening back to that. When you find yourself lacking the love necessary to love, love the unlovable, take another bite. Take another bite. There's more for you. There's no law against any of it. You can have as much as you want. When you find yourself in the midst of chaos and peace just seems to have sprouted wings and flown away, I want you to know, take another bite. I'm right there with you. You can have as much peach as you want. <laughs> this is kingdom. Because anybody can love somebody who's lovable. 
Anybody can be peaceful when all things are peaceful. How do we counteract everything that's going contrary to kingdom? We bring the kingdom to bear and overcome whatever is born of God overcomes the world. How? We take these principles that are in the word and we, 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 we put them into our lives. We learn to worship well. We get discipled. We do all the things necessary to make us better, more charactered, taking on he who is perfect down into someone who is imperfect and changing the imperfect at least into something that's more mature than it was yesterday. And all of a sudden, we're able to handle things differently and bring kingdom progress not only to our lives, but every environment into which we enter. Paul says, you do the first 15, no kingdom benefit to you or anybody else. Everything gets stymied, hindered, and halted. But if you do these nine, the kingdom is among you. God manifests himself in unusual ways. And there's no limit to how much you can have in terms of his character and his presence. That's the start of the series. Let's pray. God, help us as we try to figure out how in the world to love you better and do better.